Hello and welcome to Monocle on Culture. I'm Robert Bounds. The summer of 2023 will be remembered, if for nothing else, than for the slew of big-ticket films on offer at the cinema. On today's programme, we're talking all things blockbuster. We'll be taking a behind-the-scenes look at the success of Barbie and Oppenheimer, but also other perhaps less venerated films, like the latest Indiana Jones and Mission Impossible movies. As Barbie becomes the highest-earning film of the year, we're asking how the perfectly pink picture grabbed that top spot and how the rest of the summer's biggest movies have fared as well. What might this indicate for the future of film? And can it really be said that the summer of 2023 saved cinema? Well, first up on today's programme, to help untangle some of those knotty questions, I was joined in the studio by Alex Rittman, who's UK correspondent for The Hollywood Reporter. Alex, it's wonderful to have you on the programme. Expert in all blockbusters and everything else. But it's an interesting question. I wanted to ask you first about that semi-philosophical notion of what is a blockbuster. We know that this summer we're talking about Barbie and Oppenheimer, Mission Impossible, Indiana Jones and all the rest of it. But is this... Is this a genre question? Is it a stylistic question? Or is it, I wonder, in terms of reporting on it, for you guys at The Hollywood yeah. Reporter, is it, simply, is it simply a numbers game in terms of what is a blockbuster? It's a very good question and one I've not actually sat down to think about. <laughs> but um, yeah, I guess, I think it is numbers. It's a word that gets bandied around an yeah. awful lot. I think everything <laughs> that comes out of Hollywood is considered a blockbuster until it isn't, until it's a flop. Right. And I, I suppose th- by its very nature, then, something that is a flop is something that doesn't get its, doesn't get its budget back, I suppose. Is that what yes, we're talking about? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, something that doesn't get its budget back or even just something that doesn't make anywhere near as much money as they'd been hoping for. I mean, because that's yeah. what it all is, really. Everybody, they, they care about money. So if, it, if a film makes a pittance... Yeah. Then even if it does make back its budget, I don't think you can really call it a blockbuster. It's nothing think, to write home about. No, because I think the name originally, I did read this once, it comes from like the queues around the block. And if no one's going to see your film, then you can't really no. call it a blockbuster. You can't really call it a blockbuster, no, indeed. But I like that even though everybody's ticket is perhaps now a QR code, the yes. sad day when everything becomes a QR code yes. and you can waft straight into seat 5B or whatever it is, we like to see the queue around the block. Yes. So we, like, yeah, we yeah. like to call it that. So I've mentioned a few names this year. So in terms of this summer's blockbusters, we started off, I guess, with Indiana Jones and the what of the what? I got slightly uh, confused. The Dial of Destiny. Dial of Destiny. Okay. Dial of Destiny, yeah. And then Mission Impossible. And then we got into into the sort of Barbenheimer. Yes. The realm of Barbenheimer. A realm and an epoch in which I feel like we're still living in. I Absolutely. mean, those, those yes. films, I don't want to, to, to riff on Oppenheimer's chosen occupation, but that does seem to have quite an afterlife. <laughs> <laughs> it does, yeah. I mean, I've just heard today that Barbie is now the biggest film of the year in the US and will undoubtedly become the biggest film of the year globally Mm -hmm. very, very soon. And it's still packing out cinemas. It's still number one in various um, box offices. Oppenheimer's doing incredibly well as well. I think the two of them combined have made north of two billion. 
It's, Which is nuts and brilliant. Yeah. You know, it's what we needed. You know, it, it, it really was, you know, what cinemas wanted and cinemas been packed out. And we talked about people queuing up. I mean, I haven't seen people queuing up before. Since, you know, and now with, with Barbie, I literally did. People queuing to see a film. I mean, when does that happen? Yeah, it's rather nice, It's, it's brilliant, it? yeah. And something that obviously adds to the PR weight of it was this kind of double billing with mm-hmm. a very serious film and then a kind of, on the, on the face of it, piece of frippery. I know but it's not. We all know serious. it's not. <laughs> but a very pink film, put it that sure, way, and then sure. a very dark film. Yes. We can at least put, yeah, it, yeah. put it in those terms. So we can come back to that and the kind of the kind of interesting kind of billing of that and all the rest of it. Um, but Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, <laughs> Crystal, leave alone the Crystal Skull, everybody. No one needs to see that again. Uh, the Dial of Destiny. I'm retiring. Well, in that case, what are we drinking? Same for the goddaughter. Dad told me you found something on a train during the war. A dial that could change the course of history. Why are you chasing the thing that drove your father crazy? Don't move. We need to get out of here. Now, there have been a few... I've read some stuff online and some stuff in print that sort of said that it, it was a little bit of a, a little bit of a disappointment kind of amongst the critics but especially it's box office yeah so what about you guys what about you guys uh at the hollywood reporter alex how did you report on that at the time because there must have been a lot of excitement about it no yeah. no matter that it's that its star is aging that it was going to be the last at least of him in this series and all the rest of it how did, how what what's the general thinking of of how the what was the reading of the tea leaves on indie yeah i mean you're right it was a huge deal we knew about it for several years everyone's very excited it had its world premiere in Cannes. You know, big deal. Mm. Harrison Ford was there, was given a big career retrospective. It was like, you know, everything was laid on a plate for it to be huge. And it just wasn't. (laughs) I don't think it's made its money back. And it is widely considered to be a huge disappointment. Especially, I think, just because it costs so much money to make. Yeah, and 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 I think there was a, there was an understanding with the feeling that it didn't seem to look like it. You didn't quite know where that had been spent, if you know what I mean. Yeah, in, in fact, there's still I, kind of an old geezer running around with his yeah, old hat, you know. I, I really enjoyed it. I yeah. Actually, a lot of people were down on it, but I thought it was quite, you know, I thought it was quite special. Like, yeah. I, I thought the the aging process at the start looked pretty decent, and then all right, fair enough. He's not doing as much running. A lot of it was car-based, you know, because he's, he's 80, you know. So, um, so uh, but yeah, I, I, I didn't mind it so much. But yeah, it seems that the critics and the public were largely aligned. Yeah. So the next kind of blockbuster that will tick off then is the seventh edition, I believe, of Mission Impossible. Ethan, this mission of yours is going to cost you. The world is changing. Truth is vanishing. War is coming. With Tom Cruise, despite being 60, doing a lot of running, a lot of of trademark, (laughs) straight-backed, legs pumping... Really going for it. Blesses cotton socks, <laughs> running across Middle Eastern airports, so yeah, all the rest yeah. of it. Tom Cruise running. So this is this <laughs> this is Mission Impossible. Now, what's the thinking on this? I went to see this, and I, I mean, 
as if anyone cares what my critical uh, view is on it, but I, I kind of enjoyed it a bit like sort of Bag of Haribo, where you kind of enjoy <laughs> it at the time and then you feel a little bit kind of sad at the end. But then you realise it's got it's had no nutritional value whatsoever. Absolutely. So at least with the Bond, yes. wh- yeah, whether yeah. you like the last one or not, at least there is something memorable because the character goes through certain journeys mm-hmm. through certain parts of the film and there is some emotional heft to it. I felt that this kind of... Was like a rain off a waterproof coat, somehow. and it didn't even end. I mean, you know, it's the first of, of a two halves, <laughs> so it didn't even end properly. Cliffhanger. Yeah. <laughs> so, what about you, critically, and then let's talk. Um, let's talk a few numbers. Critically, I think it went down really well. I enjoyed. I mean, you know, it's Mission Impossible. You know what you're getting. Mm. It's Tom Cruise. He's going to do one ridiculous stunt in it, which I think was the motorbike one, yeah. and there was the train. I mean, you know, it's... It, you don't want to say paint by numbers because it's it's Mission Impossible and the guy's like, <laughs> doing all the stunts himself, but, you know, it's it's a Mission Impossible film. And, it, and I think critically, yeah, it was really well received, but the, only, the trouble with it, sort of from the box office point of view, was that it came just, I think, two weeks or even a week before Barbenheimer, mm. And, you know, Mission Impossible is the sort of film that you want to see in IMAX. You're going to see the biggest screen possible. And, you, you know, they get booked up in advance. So you want it to be there for a long time. And I think it really suffered because as soon as it was clear that Barbenheimer was going to dominate proceedings, cinemas kind of shoved it to the smaller screens. People were suddenly interested in something else. So, again, I mean, I don't know if it's the same figures as Indiana Jones, but it's considered to have underperformed mm. for, a, for a Mission Impossible, which generally do... Fantastic figures. Yeah. And it's, that's a funny one, isn't it? Because also, there's something also about the nature of blockbusters, the way they look, sound, all the explosions, the action, that they can't be damp squibs commercially somehow. No. There's something even worse about it than if it was a big, expensive, but it was a costume drama or a historical film yeah. or something like that. You know, Dunkirk is about a real thing that happened and it's got an emotional weight because of that. Mm. Something that is silly... <laughs> something that is essentially silly and yeah. and has some of the drama of Dunkirk but none of the real drama because it's not real perhaps feels like when a sweet fails to be sweet <laughs> when a, ca- yeah. a, block of, a bar of candy fails yeah. to be sweet something specific happens yeah. I don't know if you feel the same but do you know what I mean oh something absolutely about, something about size you know if, the, if Indy's boulder doesn't run then it really doesn't run and especially with with Mission Impossible and Tom Cruise, who is such a huge you-must-go-to-the-cinema-to-see-this-film kind yeah. of guy, he's always promoting his film. He never turns off. He's, he's there. He's pushing it. You need to go and see this in cinemas. And his previous film was Top Gun Maverick, which was, you know, phenomenal. Yeah. And everybody went to see it. <laughs> so I think, yeah, he must be, I mean, I'm sure he's fine. But, you know, there must be a little bit of disappointment. So then, then along comes... Barbie and Oppenheimer, two very different films, at least on the face of it. And as you say, there is something about Barbie. Maybe the it's obviously about one of the most famous toys in the world. Mm. It's been rebooted to have feminist meaning mm-hmm. and and meaning at all. It mm-hmm. is, after all, some plastic. <laughs> but there is something I'm picking up what you're putting down with the fact that it might have been a surprise hit. Because although it had a big mm. budget, it's got a big star. Mm. It's been planned and been in the works for years. And it's got a wonderful script and things like that. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. The fact that it could have had a very specific audience, perhaps, and it's yeah. had a very universal audience. Absolutely, yeah. I don't think people yeah. expected it to become... I mean, this the... the 
the Barbieheimer Barbenheimer phenomenon. No one really saw that coming. No one, and it, but it became a the like power a, of a portmanteau word. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think it created like a, a cultural moment that no one, everyone thought it was just going to be a, a film's being released. No one thought it would become, you know. Every, I've had so many emails from ev- every company on the planet who's trying to sort of take advantage of it with a new range of pink products. Of course. No one saw that, like, you know, coming. I think it was like a, the fact that it turned into a major, you know, people are going to look back at this year and go, what were the key things? And Barbenheimer and Barbie are going to be part of it because, you know, it's been the talk of the summer. Like, people, the, it started a conversation, not just about the film, but kind of, you know, a, a, across the length and breadth of all sorts of, you know, yeah. different topics. Yeah. And within this amazing portmanteau word, would it have would it be as potent as it were if it didn't sound so good, <laughs> or, or like a celebrity couple that might break up at any minute? Perhaps not. <laughs> it feels to me, just kind of looking back on on the last kind of month of this crazy and and really exciting blockbuster summer. Alex, that actually Oppenheim was riding slightly on Barbie's coattails mm. as a kind of gruesome, twosome or dynamic duo, whatever they are. Yeah. It, feel, it actually feels like this thing that had been planned to be big, that was obviously big, that is about a huge, big topic and a, a, a crucial moment in history is strangely riding on the coattails of, yeah. of a quirky but necessary and brilliantly realised story about a toy and a woman. I yeah, I, I, I guess, but I would also say that any film that, that Christopher Nolan makes is always an event. Mm. I mean, when he makes a film, I mean, people come out to when see it. When he makes it, a film, he really makes a film. He really makes a film, you know, <laughs> and like he, even Tenet, which was launched, you know, in the middle of the pandemic, yeah. and, uh, you know, that was, it still did decent business and it got people going to the cinemas despite the fact that, you know, some of them may or may not have got COVID afterwards. But, um, <laughs> sorry, cinemas. But uh, yeah, you, you're right that it rode on the coattails. But I mean, it's a Christopher Nolan film. He's one of very, very few directors that mm. everybody goes, oh, right, I'll see it, whatever. Whatever yeah. it is, I will go and watch this film. Yeah, yeah. So in terms of covering it, in terms of covering sort of the blockbuster summer, and in terms, say, of a, 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 a Christopher Nolan release, mm. what about you guys in uh, covering the industry? Working for the Hollywood Reporter, how how far in advance? What are, are you thinking of story angles? Are you looking for interviews? Are you looking for what are you looking for? All sorts of technical stuff, creative stuff. How soon ahead? I wonder. Are you planning issues and your coverage and how you're going to do that? Yeah, I mean, we look many many months ahead. I mean, we're in a very, rather interesting time right now when you talk about interviews that we have a dual writer strike and actor strike, yeah. which means a lot of the interviews that would normally be doing are not available because simply yeah. as per their strike rules they they can't talk to press but yeah we we're, we're looking at and I think the 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 way you look ahead after something like barbenheimer is sort of what what next i mean i think it's brilliant that you know that it happened and cinemas were filled and i think i would i've seen some figures and it's been the the biggest july since pre-pandemic yeah. which is you know absolutely fantastic but I don't think we should get like too carried away and think that's it, we're all fixed, because, you know, that for overall, the figures are still very much down. And the question is, I th- what I think is really interesting is like, you know, Barbie, oh, it's kind of, I don't want to say new IP, because obviously it's Barbie, we all know, but in terms of like filmmaking, it's like this this new, exciting thing that we hadn't seen. And I think that is what drew people to it. It was like, it's not another superhero film. It's not something that's a prequel or a sequel. 
But what comes next? And hilariously, well, it's not hilarious, but um, but <laughs> but Mattel obviously have a number of toys. Yeah, Barbie just being one of them. So you know they have a Hot Wheels film that they've been prepping for a while. You know we're moving away from perhaps the age of superheroes. We're definitely experiencing that sort of Marvel fatigue. People don't mm. really seem to care as much. But in ten years' time, are we going to be saying Mattel fatigue as they churn out yet another film about yet of one of yeah. their lines of lines of toys? So yeah, yeah, it is interesting looking ahead what the future lies the hollywood reporter's alex rittman there now an abundance of shiny cinematic spectacles is all well and good but how do you go about programming such offerings what's the fiddly process at work that balances screens timings and audience appetite so that around the world we can enjoy the best of hollywood well, BFI IMAX programme manager Madeline Mullet knows just what it takes, particularly given the fact that before this role, she spent 20 years programming for Picture House. Madeline, lovely to have you on the programme. Now, we have enjoyed the blockbuster onslaught this summer here on Monocle on Culture. Well, we're kind of asking, how did they fare? So who did well this summer from the BFI's perspective and just from your general kind of programmer's perspective um, across the country and, and across the world? Well it, well, it has to be said that there are two films that stand out the most this summer, and they are Barbie and Oppenheimer, mm-hmm. respectively. They've done well for all cinemas across the board, which is really phenomenal. Not just the IMAX, which we programmed, but also the BFI South Bank, which played Barbie. So IMAX had Oppenheimer and the South Bank had Barbie, which was fantastic. And most cinemas across the country, whether they were independent or part of the chain, played both films either consecutively or certainly across the board across the week so all cinemas have fared well from these films and that's because they lean into two different um audio or multiple different audience demographics which has been really wonderful for the cinema industry as a whole it's it's fantastic really there there are so many lessons um, to be learnt, perhaps, from the construction of these films, the vibe and atmosphere and maybe stars and scriptwriters of these films, directors, of course, of these films as well, that they tick so many boxes. And also for many, for many viewers and cinema goers and lovers of, of film, lots of people obviously went to see both, have seen both of these films. It became a portmanteau word, Barbenheimer. I'm not entirely sure what the estate of Robert, Robert Oppenheimer thinks about that, but nonetheless, um, this obviously helped. The fact that there was such a kind of these these two supposedly vastly different films came out on the same day. There was a sort of feeding frenzy of critical of critical and public sort of appetite for them both, I suppose. So that suited you guys very well, I guess. Yes, most definitely. It's been really wonderful. I don't think I've ever seen such two behemoths open on the same release date with such high anticipation for both films and both to come out on top basically in my 20 plus year of of cinema exhibition programming for cinemas it's always been there's one big film and there's lots of other very decent films released but there's always one that tends to dominate and these two went head to head and actually they both built a massive zeitgeist together and it and it worked it worked positively which was really wonderful I, I can't remember a time when I've seen this before and it's a real needed shot in the arm for the cinema industry 
certainly after a couple of years of pandemic and the recovering industry which we are at now so it's been much needed and 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 it's still going which is really great they're still working yeah they've been out for a month or so and they seem to still be still be going strong so sort of technically as a programmer madeleine how do you roughly how many screens did you guys at the bfi program for each of those films and some of the other summer blockbusters, the Mission Impossible film, etc. How many screens do you program for for these big two, for the Indiana Jones, for, for Mission Impossible? Do you have to pick up on, are you picking up on demand and reacting to it? Or do you have to have a very strong game in place in terms of your screenings? There's a bit of both, to be honest. And the BFI is a very different setup to uh, much of the industry sector, which has multiple screens and multiple venues. Even the indies are part of a, often part of a chain of independent cinemas and have multiple screens. Well, the BFI is, is, is a bit different, which uh, the IMAX is only one screen. It's got nearly 500 seats, but it's one giant screen. And uh, so there's no room to kind of uh, make any mistakes or, or have anything ticking over a bit longer. But there is the South Bank, which has multiple screens. And Barbie was playing in, in our largest screen and it demanded it and it kept going in the largest screen, which is wonderful. And Oppenheimer played in the IMAX we're in a race against the Nazis. And I know what it means if the Nazis have a bomb. They have a 12-month head start. 18. How could you possibly know that? We've got one hope. All America's industrial might and scientific innovation connected here. Secret laboratory. It's on its sixth week with us and it will probably play for for another two or three weeks which is you know there's an eight week run of one film yes it's three hours long but most films at the IMAX which is one screen play for a week and then a new film comes in which is a little bit limiting when you have only one screen it's it's always nicer to have more options to then if something is working you know work work with your with your audience and um, continue films that there is a demand for but with the one screen you can still do that and you know we had Indiana Jones we had Mission Impossible they both played for about 10 days each and they will come back to the cinema when there is demand for them when we kind of have a bit of room there is always you can always work around your audience and it's important to listen to your audience as a programmer because they're the ones that you're doing the job for really when you have a multi-screen cinema like a multiplex or even a, a multi multi-screen independent you'd probably be screening Oppenheimer in at least two screens because of its length to get two evening screenings in and Barbie was playing in two or three screens up until last week really in most cinemas that had more than one screen yeah and it's really interesting knowing knowing the difference and knowing obviously your kind of professional history as well Madeline you're at the BFI now but you've worked for more multiplexy chains as well art house multiplexes we should say um <laughs> in certain respects as well but it's interesting to know that the ration interesting to learn about the rationale for the programming of each individual film and managing the demand for these blockbusters in particular as per today's as per today's program so it really is a kind of bums on seats exercise you want to fill you want to fill auditoriums that keep on getting filled until they aren't anymore within reason i suppose is, is it not as simple as that but is is that heading in the right direction as an explanation? 
Pretty much so, yes. Well, as I said before, we're in this job for the audience. We we love what we do, watching films and getting the films onto the screens is incredibly important. And when you've got full auditoriums, it's you can, you know, you're, you you have a conversation with your audience. You can show them the trailers and the brochures of the upcoming films that are more exciting. You know, you you've come to these films, but also don't forget there's more films coming up. You can have a dialogue with your audience directly when they're in the cinema so when you've got several full screens your your access to audience is is fantastic i like that they are they are like putty in your hands madeline <laughs> full auditorium aren't they <laughs> you're the puppet master but but on a serious note i suppose you can you you're then putting i'm, I'm thinking perhaps there'd be some audience crossover between strays which i understand has not done very well at least in the u.s uh this is this very funny slightly crude talking dogs movie that's out right now and barbie because they're both heavy on the irony and they're clever but they pr- 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 you know pretend to be something that, that they're not perhaps is that is that what you're doing you're looking for a kind of genre crossover or the, a sense of humour or an action crossover or something like or, or simply a, a director or actor crossover is that the kind of thing you're trying to do most definitely and all of the above really it's about when you have an audience in there that is interested in uh, a large film and they come and they're in a full auditorium there's a real sense of being in a full screening and and when you watch the trailers together you get excited about the next trailers that you can come and see and so you know grabbing that while you can is really important so you definitely show trailers which are similar in theme similar director and it's also worth showing a couple of trailers for films that are pushing the boundaries a little bit, you know, ones that people may not be aware of, but that have some similarities because it's about um, broadening sort of perspectives. That's what cinema should do, provide a platform for audiences to kind of experience something a little bit different. Perfect. And I wonder if there are any surprises. Obviously, the BFI is, as you say, in a slightly different space. You're programming not smaller, but more you're programming more European cinema, Asian cinema, non-blockbuster stuff, as much as that's what we're talking about today. Have there been any surprises this this summer amongst the sort of backdrop and landscape of these big, big behemoths that we're talking about today for some of those smaller films that have done exceptionally well or you saw an uptick in audiences because they were programmed alongside a Barbie or an Oppenheimer or, a, or an indie? Have there been any of those small-time successes, any of those small films that could this summer, I wonder? There's been quite a few, yes. There's been some lovely films that have actually made a bit of an impact whilst these two behemoths have been on the screen and sort of dominated the media market, which has been really satisfying. There's a film uh, playing at the moment called Le Mencita, which has got um, Penelope Cruz in it. It's a wonderful 70s set film, which is, you know, taking taking some good numbers in, in the UK at the moment. Um, Serpico has got its 50th anniversary. There is some films that once you've been to the cinema, you know, there is other stuff that you want to come and see again. So there is there's all the big stuff and there's all the little things as well. There's there's many more. Obviously, Asteroid City played really well just before the sort of summer blockbuster season came out. And that was Wes Anderson's film. And then there was, oh, there's lots, there's lots. But there are always lots of foreign language, world cinema and classic cinema on the screen that is not to be ignored. It's just sort of seeking it out. So, But there are there are some films coming up that are very exciting, actually, that will, will play to 
all kinds of audiences as well, such as the same as Oppenheimer and Barbie have, really. So there's films like uh, Kenneth Banner's A Haunting in Venice coming up. Then there's uh, Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, which is out in October. There's June, part two, and Napoleon, Ridley Scott's Napoleon. So these are films that are large, but also have a crossover for an independent sector as well. So rather packed autumn season, as usual, which is lovely to have because it's the first year post-pandemic. It was it was not a classic cinema landscape. And it feels like this year we are finally coming around to what used to be a regular cinema season throughout the year where in the autumn you start seeing all the award corridor films coming into the cinemas and then certainly after Christmas you get a slew of films which are all award contenders very very decent and very big films that are not just the summer blockbusters which we have at the moment. Well I was going to ask you if this is the this is the summer that's saved the whole caboodle but I feel like I don't have to because it does feel like um, from your point of view, we're back to something better than normality, which which is great to hear. Love it. Love your work, Madeleine Mallet, Programme Manager at the BFI IMAX. Thank you very much uh, for coming on Monocle on Culture today. Thank you. Thank you very much, Robert. And that is all for this week. My thanks to Madeleine Mullet and to Alex Rittman. Monocle on Culture is produced by Sophie Monaghan-Coombs and Steph Chungu, and Steph also edits the show. We'll be back at the same time next week. But until then, from me, Robert Bounds, thanks for tuning in.